Hello and welcome back to How to PhD episode number 35. This week we are going to be talking about public involvement and public engagement, what it is, why you should consider it and practical tips on how to do it. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Aaron and I'm joined by my co-host Julia. Hi. And this week we are talking about public engagement and public involvement, right? Exactly. And I think we should start by clarifying what those two terms mean. So public engagement is about raising awareness for your research or your research study. So it's about like more informal learning. So to give you an example, if you present your PhD plan um, at a at an event that is publicly accessible. So um, for example, we mentioned a few times now Pint of Science, a science festival, which takes place in, in pubs and people can um, come and listen to um, to people about people's research. That is public engagement. Mm. Yeah. Whereas public involvement is a little bit different. So it's really about actively involving people in research and don't confuse that with um, as, as, as study participants. What we mean here is by involving them and in kind of designing your research. So ex for example, if you do an event and you invite members of the public, for example, to give you feedback on study materials. So for example, an information sheet or consent form or a survey that you're planning to do. That is really um, what we mean by public involvement. And I think there are a couple of reasons why it's a good idea to consider both of them for your PhD. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really, um, you know, I think one thing you sort of highlighted to me was it's really about sort of making scientific research more accountable, right, mm. through involving and engaging with the public. Um, and I guess in many ways can also address that sort of um, decline of trust in scientists, right? If we sort of look at what's happened with COVID and things as a general decline in trust for what people read from sort of scientific sources. And so it's a, it's a way of bringing that research out. And I think, you know, from a practical sense for your PhD, um, you know, imagine you're in a PhD where you don't have a whole lot of evidence to, to back up your work, right? There's not a lot of published literature. Uh, this was the case in my field with automated cars, right? So um, it's great because you can involve the public and sort of get a justification for doing that work through them, right? You can say, well, the public think that this is a good thing to mm. do. Um, and it gives you a different perspective on your work. And I think also gives you this pathway to demonstrate impact, right? And impact is this phrase that we're, we're seeing sort of increasingly in academia when we look at like the research excellence framework, which is essentially how universities are kind of ranked in the UK. Um, impact is getting increasingly important. And what that means is, you know, how does your research apply in the real world, right? Now, you might not have to actually answer that in your PhD, and definitely it's not a requirement for you to pass the PhD, but if you can show impact, it's going to make your life when you're when you're de when you're defending your thesis, when you're talking about your work to your examiners or in conferences. It's going to be such a powerful thing if you can demonstrate that. And public involvement and engagement is a great way of, of achieving that. Um, and I think you know, on a sort of personal level, you know, having you know, if, if you remember sort of back to our kind of ups and downs of PhD episode, you know, me doing the public involvement stuff was a fantastic re-energizer for your PhD because you might find that you're in a kind of bit of a lull and you're a bit tired of doing lab-based or formal experimentation. This can be a great way to remind yourself of, hey, look, this, this is useful work that I'm doing. 
engaging with the public and getting their feedback on it um, is, a, is a sort of way of, of feeling that you're doing and you're contributing something. And I think that's a really quite, it's a really useful thing. And I think a lot of doctoral candidates don't really consider this as, as sort of part of their doctorate um, because it's not one of those formal requirements. But if you can do it, I think it's, it's really wonderful for multiple reasons. Uh, so now that we've talked about how just how good and important this kind of technique is, let's talk about how you can go about actually practically doing public engagement or public involvement. So let's talk about some of the practical things you need to actually run uh, public involvement or go about doing public engagement. So uh, I guess the first question whenever you're sort of doing one of these studies involving the public is sort of do you need ethics, right? And the good news is that you don't need um, ethics to do public engagement or public involvement. So let's say if you want to present at a science festival, you do not need ethics for that or if you want to do public involvement. But on the other hand, often ethics committees actually want you want to see that you are doing public engagement or, or public involvement throughout your research, at least in the health um, like health research and and especially important therefore funding applications so i think in my phd i only public engagement and yeah i got away with that but um now i think it's more important um really to show that you're also doing public involvement and really throughout your research yeah exactly that and i think um you know, it's one of those things that is, is very useful to keep in mind also for the future, you know, as you move on from your doctorate and you start thinking about funding and things. So not just, mm-hmm. you know, so beyond ethics, um, that it has, you know, a lot of value to demonstrate that you're going to do it, these sorts of things for that as well. Um, and I guess then it's really a case of finding people to, to take part, right? Yeah. And, and where actually to conduct your event or whatever activity whatever it is um so i think the easiest way with public engagement is as we said many times now but to jump on existing platforms or festivals so um for you for you to organize stuff in your phd maybe you don't have a lot of time and i think then the most convenient thing is to sign up for events um like pint of science or data beers but i also just came across um, a website um called sciencefestivals.uk um, and there you can find like loads of different events and festivals that are going on you can apply to present there um, but um, you can of course also create your own event right yeah that's right and I think that's something that um, I did in in my doctorate so um, you know we had a little pot money to mm. be able to run an event and we literally used that money to book a, a museum kind of event hall uh, we set out tables and we invited people we mm. created a little flyer and we said hey come along there'll be free tea and coffee and cakes and things uh, and we'll just ask you some questions on different things and, and it was just you know again we in that case we actually collected the data and actually, you know, was able to sort of process that and, and you know, turn that more into a researchy thing. So it's not public engagement and involvement in the true sense of the word. Um, but it was still like a useful thing of like involving people and, and getting feedback on studies. And on you said it's studies. in the museum, so quite accessible. So I think you said you had money for it, like some funding to book a room. If you don't have that, of course, you can maybe book just a room at your university, but just to make sure that, yeah, you still invite like members of the public. So it's not just university students or staff that are showing up and um, you want to get probably a, a wider involvement exactly yeah and uh, of course you know 
you can, well, you said, yeah, you can also use the sort of local rooms in your university and things, uh, but also online Teams, Zoom is also a very accessible way of engaging with the public. And it, I guess in many ways, especially if you're wanting to engage with sort of more vulnerable populations or those with sort of accessibility needs, then potentially doing it online is very, very good um, alternative to that. Um, and I guess then, you know, leading on to that is how do you actually you know, get participants to, to join. And, and Julia, you had some really good tips on actually how do you find participants, which I guess is also good for, for general studies as well. Yeah, so um, I started, so when I, the first time that I wanted to do then public involvement, I, I didn't know where, where do you get participants from now, right? So the first thing I think is to check whether at your university, whether there are already public engagement and groups established at your university um, there might even be public engagement teams or public involvement teams um, working that can help you with that so i think that's a good starting point um, but then additionally what i found really useful a friend of mine recommended me that to just put a kind of a little advert on um, peopleinresearch.org it's a website and so i just posted i'm holding this event online this is the topic um and yeah, people could just sign up or email me um, if they were interested. And I had really um, got a lot of um, engagement from there. A lot of people were interested. Um, there's also like, yeah, website like Nextdoors <laughs> where you can post little events and of course, social media, flyer, mouth of words, just starting with your family, friends or colleagues to spread the word um, can be really useful. Um, and yeah, I think the goal should be to kind of find a quite a diverse group of people so you are allowed to ask people to give for example some demographic information um if you, if you want to have i don't know if you want to have 15 or 20 people you are allowed to kind of then decide who to invite if you have a limit of people that you um, can involve in that event um, but I think I would just recommend you explaining that a little bit right mm, you don't want to yeah. say oh you are female now you're not invited <laughs> that probably won't sit right with people but explaining I'm just trying to get a very diverse group and had already a lot of people from the same or similar background um, sorry I will contact you next time and that that's okay but yeah just be sensitive with that I think yeah I mean I think another um, useful way to create that or to have a bit more control over who Who's attending is to have a kind of sign up link and just kind of have them mm. sort of register their interest to take part yeah um, and just make it clear that you know by registering you're not guaranteeing a place but then you can sort of go through and then understand the demographics and sort of selectively invite kind of the the people that you you want to invite yeah. which is which is another yeah. uh, another way of doing and giving that. them a choice not to indicate their personal details if, if they're not don't want to exactly yeah and i think with flyers and things um particularly if we talk about creating a diverse group is one thing we did for the for the event that, that we ran was that we actually wrote to specific groups around in the in the local community so we knew we wanted people from the cycling community and we wanted some uh, who were potentially wheelchair users so mm. rather than just blanket advertising on kind of these general boards mm. you know to actually specifically target those groups there are sort of wheelchair accessibility groups there are cycling groups running groups all mm. this kind of thing and just say hey you know we're doing this event um would you like to take part and i think you know when you when you talk to people and say you know we we want your opinion your, your opinion mm. is valued and is important to our research then i think generally i found that the public are willing to engage and i think mm. it's about you know right we said right at the 
start of the show. It's about building that trust and kind of opening science out more to to the public. And I think people really appreciate that opportunity to be able to to comment and, and to be able to give yeah. their opinions on things, even if they're yeah. not the experts in it. And I think that's even better when they're not the experts in it because that gives you a totally fresh and a new perspective. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so, I really appreciate like how many people are willing to give their time. They're giving you their mm. time yeah. um, to speak about different topics and give their opinions. Um, so I think, yeah, to be really respectful of that. And um, yeah, it can be so interesting what people have to say, what you never thought about, but what are really good and important points. So now I think we're going to talk a little about what to do. Um, so if you're doing a public engagement event, um, it's quite likely that you're doing a presentation, right? Because this is about sharing your research. And I think you really have a responsibility there to make it really understandable and interesting. Um, I think it can be really frustrating. And I myself have been to presentations, for example, of Pint of Science, where I really, I could not understand yeah. what people were talking yeah. about. And I appreciate, I think some some research topics are more difficult to explain um, than, than others. But I think it can really backfire if you're presenting to members of the public that that gave their time, they decided to come to your event for an evening or so, and then I can't really understand what's going on. And I think then that can really disengage them to, from coming again and listening to science and research. It's, yeah, so it's really... Really take that responsibility yeah, there. really true. And I think, you know, if you're... If you're thinking about doing this kind of public engagement and you're presenting to a general audience, and we've talked about this a lot in, I think, in the presentation episodes and things like that, which might be worth revisiting in a future episode. But if you look at things like if you go online to sort of TED Talks, um, if you Google uh, or on YouTube, you know, some of the science YouTubers who are kind of... um, not so much kind of the academic lecturers who post on YouTube, but I mean, actual YouTube channels focused on science and how they can communicate Mm. really complex things, but by using, you know, really accessible analogies and things like that. Um, You know, I was, for example, I was watching a YouTube video by a creator and it was all about kind of how we age and, Mm. and all the biological processes in that. I'm not a biologist, but the way they were explaining it with, kind of analogies to sort of they they use all sorts of things everyday things Mm. it's totally accessible you know and uh, I think yeah TED is a fantastic resource for this Um, there are also many many scientists doing great stuff on Instagram as well doing this thing of like communicating science and I think really keeping that in mind as you go into these public engagements. Yeah, I think events. it should really be something that isn't just a tick box exercise, right? Not I just did my presentation in a pub and job done. Um, but on the other hand, of course, I appreciate that it's really difficult as well, especially if the topic is quite complex to explain and, and to get. You probably need a lot of practice to do that. Um, so not to put people off, it doesn't have to be perfect the first time. But I think maybe there are then ways where you can kind of check whether you were able to communicate. Um, what you wanted to by asking like I don't know include some quiz questions at the end to see whether people understood what you meant and to make clear that you are trying to see whether you did a good job in explaining it or not so not putting it on the audience or in terms of oh you did not understand what I was saying Uh, but the other way around what can I do better next time to make it more understandable in yeah and a really useful tip I found from people who present really complex you know topics and um let's say you're presenting about battery research right which is 
you know, could be quite a complex, quite a technical scientific thing. Um, but you could open the presentation by saying, you know, who here uses a lithium ion battery every day? And mm. people would be like, might not even recognize that word. But then you could say to them, well, you know, reach into your uh, bag and pull out your smartphone or if anyone has a laptop or so and so. And then suddenly mm. you've connected your research with everybody in that room, right? And so have a Wait, think about Did you just think about I that? I actually just thought about oh that God. on the spot. <laughs> free <laughs> but, tip. <laughs> but I think, the, I think, you know, if, if you're in a really technical lab-based science or you're looking at very specific, you know, polymer, there will be a reason why mm. your research exists. Yeah. And if you take those steps back to look at the bigger picture, it will, in some level, connect mm. with the general public. Um, and it's about unthreading that you know that story to see how does it create as we said at the start you know impact mm. and this is this is what it's about so yeah i think the key thing with that public engagement is really have the audience and who your audience is at, at your heart and it's not about being patronizing it's mm. about being able to connect what you're doing to how it's going to impact mm. people's lives and that's the really key thing and i think finding the right tone is another really important thing uh, i think it's okay um if you can make the presentation more or yeah more light-hearted but only if the topic allows i think if it's a topic that could be very sensitive for people i think it's really important to consider that as well especially in health related research you don't know who's in the audience what people have experience in their life so to be really sensitive and considerate about that as well and a tip that i learned um not actually in the context of public engagement, but I quite liked it. Someone who was introducing, I think a teacher, she was introducing herself and she was starting by sharing stuff about herself. So um, what music she likes, what her hobbies are. And she said, like, by just giving different things about information about herself, then people might, um, might relate to some of the things that, that you like. Because I think there's sometimes this... Um, gap like you know, oh this is the scientists and this is the members of the public but to find yeah to find stuff that people can relate to exactly yeah. so we talked a lot that was about a lot that. about public engagement um, so what about how do you run public involvement which again so just to remind the listeners engagement is about sharing research is sharing? Yeah, or talking about research yeah and public involvement is actually involving them in the process research and, design and, and your or, design yeah. and things like that so yeah. How do you go about running public involvement, Julie? Yeah, so I think, first of all, to give some ideas of what actually um, people can do or what you can do in that event, what people can help you with, is, for example, they can help you to review your study documents. So, for example, and it might sound really basic, but to give them, um, for example, your participant information leaflet that you're going to um, use for your study or consent forms, it's so it's so interesting what people pick up. For example, I did it just um, last week and I shared um, participant um, information sheets and um, people are commenting, oh, could you maybe word it like this? Or I don't understand this term. Can, can we rephrase that maybe? And that brilliant idea is they also spotted some, I don't know, like small grammar mistakes or uh, <laughs> um, yeah, some uh, typos, stuff that just creeps into your documents right while That's you're right. editing and re-editing um, and I'm also not a native um, English speaker so for me it was so helpful to have people just look at my documents where my supervisors for example don't have time to look at everything in, in that detail and that was brilliant and that's, that's right and I think you know again you know if you're going to be if your study is going to be involving general members of the public as participants then you know 100% you, you know another yeah. word for this could 
in a way be sort of piloting right it's it's basically you're taking your materials and saying well, you know what do you think about this and and you know getting the feedback on that mm. um and i think that's so it's so important um especially if your stuff is being reviewed only by other academics as you say it, it yeah. can you, you can yeah. lose track of you know how people you know perceive that work you know outside yeah. of the academic context and there are, yeah, I also shared with them the survey instrument that I'm planning to use. And there were a couple of questions where I wasn't sure, is it appropriate to include them? Um, do people know what we mean by that? So, for example, I had a demographic question about like where people um, were asked to indicate their level of education, not because I, yeah, want to, like, yeah, judge anyone by having a lower education level but then members of the public were asking like why are you asking that question um can you maybe give a bit of context explain why you want this this information or can you consider taking that question out and i think it's it's really really important because in the end if um people for example don't complete my survey they started and then stop doing it because there are questions that don't sit right with them um, then it's really helpful for me to to discover that early on right before i actually start the survey so really great for that and also you can do that with topic guides um, you can also present your research and then get ideas on your or feedback on your research plan and yeah invite people to share their thoughts and um, if you're doing it online what i find quite useful is to use um, google jamboard which is basically just a whiteboard online and then let people um, put their comments there um, or yeah, little, use little comment boxes. But also I invite them to just put stuff in the Teams chat or to speak out loud. And I think, again, I just try to be a bit more inclusive. There are people who don't want to speak up in front of a group or people they don't know. So they are, tend to rather put it into a chat um, than, than to speak up. So I think give people different opportunities to, to really share their opinions. That's right. Yeah, I think that sort of being inclusive um, mm. is and, and this is also true you know if, so if you're doing it in person as well um, then you know consider if you're running say uh, a type of involvement event or engagement event where people might be sort of sat around tables or so um, and you're just sort of seeing how people converse about that stuff and mm. you know you might ask them a question and you know chances are there'll probably be what, one or two people on the table who are kind of the loudest voice and, and really kind of you know confident uh, and there will be those who kind of sit there and sort of listen to what those people are saying which is great but you want to involve everybody so you know being aware of that and kind of engaging with the people who might be a bit quieter and mm. you know who are not so confident in speaking up uh, to the whole table really important for this kind of stuff you know to, to really be inclusive as you say and, yeah and these online tools are in many ways uh, more comfortable for people to use because you know potentially they don't have to turn on their video they can just have their voice they can be in a in their own relaxed setting many benefits to consider those kinds of online tools true but then also do just to be um mindful about that not everybody is familiar with um how yeah. softwares work yeah. um and yeah it might really differ from yeah in different age groups but yeah um i think so to always provide really clear instructions on how to use technology if you're wanting to to use it just give a lot of information and easy information on how it works um another thing i or another tip is to ask um, participants for example if you have shared your um, research and event ask participants um, to consent whether you're allowed to contact them again to invite them to future events um so for example i did 
um, public involvement last year and I asked people, can I contact you again if I have any activities or events coming up? And so I've now established my own group basically that I contact um, when whenever something is coming up and that's really valuable. Um, so rather than having to start again from scratch next time, um, you are you are aware of people where you know they're they're interested and they're quite a yeah they're also getting to know each but each other better through your events, um, so that's really think, great. Yeah, I think I was a member of your the um, your medical school's um, sort of pool of participants for for these kinds of public engagement uh, public involvement events as well. So I was often being called upon yeah. to take part in things, yeah. which I think is really good. And yeah. that's actually an important tip is actually you know. Um, take if you're not sure you know exactly how to run one of these sort of involvement or engagement events um, then go to one yourself you know see mm. see how these things are done and you That's can point, begin yeah. to actually see sort of you know what's the benefit of mm. of doing this kind of thing mm. so I guess the last thing is really about sort of um, this idea of communicating kind of how what you find from a public involvement is going to be actually implemented right yeah, I think it's good practice to let participants who gave their time um, for you and share like their thoughts and their opinions um, to share with them what of the things that they have um, picked up on um, is actually implemented now. Um, so, for example, if you um, give people your um, participant information sheet and they give you lots of comments, then I, I think it's nice to send back an email or a document where you explain like which points that they picked up on were implemented and which ones weren't and where you, you couldn't um, implement their comments for whatever reason. I think, yeah, it's good to explain why why you couldn't um, do that. And I think that gives them the feeling of that they're they have been listened to and um, yeah that they really have made an impact on on how your research is going to be conducted yeah I think that's exactly that and I think just in general with studies you know more formal studies as well it's always a good thing I think if participants consent to it and, and they're interested um, to then send them a summary of kind of the findings and and say look you know thanks again for taking part and you know this is what I found and this is how it helps and I think that's such a it kind of rounds off the whole process, right? And uh, I think it's a good thing to do. So hopefully that has given you an overview of the value of doing this kind of public engagement and public involvement and all the things it can do, not only for your research, but for yourself and sort of re-energizing yourself and helping you to justify an area which might be quite difficult to justify through just the literature. Um, and hopefully, and again, you know, sort of help you see that your work is more than just your thesis and can have an impact on the wider world and the general public. So here we are at the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening to How to PhD. If you know of someone who could benefit from our knowledge on public engagement and public involvement events, then please do share this with them. Uh, and of course, if you enjoy listening to How to PhD and you'd like to support us, then leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible or visit our website at howtophd.show and leaving a small donation through Buy Me a Coffee. And as we say every week, thank you so much to everyone who supported us over on there. Uh, it means so much to us. Uh, do get in touch contact at howtophd.show is the show's email twitter and instagram at howtophdshow uh, and of course if you're interested in the one-to-one -one sessions and want to sign up to a free half an hour uh, then that's one-to-one at, -one at show. Julia next week we are going to be doing something oh it's a very key skill particularly in this um, I don't want to say modern day and age, but in this IT day and age uh, where we communicate over email and uh, it's, it's all about how to write emails, right? 
Exactly. So probably um, you're spending um, part of your PhD every day on um, sending emails to your supervisors or colleagues. Um, so we're gonna tackle like how to write effective emails um, that will help you to yeah communicate clearly what you want from other people and um, yeah how you can get them to respond to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's something I really wish I knew early on in my PhD. So it should be a good episode. So. Until then, have a wonderful week and we will see you all next time.